Hi, it's Jeannie Allen, and this is Reality Check. I am so pleased to be bringing this podcast to you from San Diego, California at the 10th annual ASU GSV Summit. This is the go-to summit for innovators, entrepreneurs, edtech people, folks who want to drive acceleration innovation. I gotta tell you, it is the most active, uh, exhilarating thing that we do annually. I'm so excited to be bringing to you a dozen or so people who are doing everything from pre-K to gray, as they say, and all in between. So take a listen, and you will be here with me live as you learn about these fascinating innovators that are helping transform the world of education for learners at all levels. Okay, we are at ASUGSV 2019, and I just met, oh my gosh, there's so many amazing people here, but I just met Torian Richardson, who is an executive coach, investor, strategist extraordinaire. Why are you here, Torian? (laughs) Well, I am here, one, to connect with awesome people like yourself, who are furthering the conversation around learning, around how we can improve education, and how we can just create a more impactful world through advancing human potential. And how did you get into doing this versus everything else you could be doing? Well, um, my background is in learning. I worked with Pearson Education for about 10 years and prior to that with Houghton Mifflin. So I've had the the pleasure to be able to work all around the world with those companies. Uh, I was doing business solutions director for Pearson in Africa for two years before I left and started the company that I have now. So I have a lot of friends here. Uh, I have a company that we actually invested in called Formative where we're helping them with their strategy. They actually work in K through 12, formative assessment. So there are a lot of different irons that we kind of have in the fire, but uh, all in all, just to be around great people who want to advance. Well, it's really interesting. You've worked for a couple of companies that used to be called publishers, but now they call themselves learning companies. Indeed. We listened to Priscilla Chan from Chan Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's wife, for those listening who don't know, because CZI has committed billions of dollars to helping solve problems addressing children it's all around learning sciences so what happened because a few years ago we weren't talking that way this is true a lot of it depends if you think about how we learn just as human beings right we learn through failure if you will or through what we would call forming or formative assessment so you learn how to walk by you fall a little bit you wake up you learn and after you walk a little bit Then you start to walk a little bit longer, and then you can walk to the other side of the room. It's the exact same thing with language. So I think what's happening is as technology is becoming a bigger tool, and then people are starting to realize that, hey, learning is a lifelong thing that we need to start early, and we need to integrate that in every every aspect of what we do as humans. So what is innovation for you? That's a great question. Uh, Innovation is creating something new not only in a product or a service, but really an environment. So we work in that area where we bring people together, where they come from different backgrounds, different train of thoughts, but how do you bring that together so that people, one, acknowledge the differences that we have, because we're all different, and that's a good thing, but then taking the positive sides of that and what people have to offer and create a new environment so that people feel safe, 
they feel uh, courageously vulnerable, where they could talk about things or ideas that they want to bring to the table, that is the catalyst for where innovation actually sits. So, and that's whether it's in higher education, right. K-12, or within a professional uh, organization. So do you think people get it out there in the real world? I mean, we're here with everyone who really wants to do exactly what you just described. They want to make things new happen. They want to challenge conventional wisdom. And then we all go home, Torian, and we kind of get into our own little, I don't know, comfort zone. Yes. How do we change that? Uh, I, I actually think that the process starts internally. I mean, I think we feel it. We all feel it, right? If we see someone that's driving, and a lot of times we'll see, I don't know, road rage, or we'll see something that's happening. That's usually a reaction of some of the internal frustration that we have. So I think the way we change it is, one, exactly what we're doing here on your show, which is starting to have the, can the candid conversation around what we actually want, what that looks like, and then how do we create, like we talked about before, new environments through solidarity so that we can actually move the ball forward. And that starts with different communities, different environments talking, right. but it's not only talking, it really comes down to one thing. You have to listen better, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're able to listen, then you're able to take in ideas, and especially if you're listening in an empathetic way, where you can listen, understand where other people are coming from, and then process your thoughts to actually move things forward. So I think it's very much internal. So what one thing do you want to leave listeners with all over the country uh, that you want them to know about what you're doing and what you want them to do to help wow. accelerate innovation? That is a, that's a great question. Um, I'll go back to what we talked about before. Like Innovation really starts with creating new environments, particularly around solidarity. So one of the things that I'm very adamant about, we have this conversation around diversity and inclusion, and it's very obvious um, that that conversation, the curriculums, and even some people with very high-level positions, that this is not working, particularly here in the United States. Uh, you have a, an environment where people feel almost as if they have to come to the table because they're forced to. And when we go through a lot of these trainings or curriculums, it's really around what's not working. Yeah. So what I would say, what I want to leave people with is try to create environments of solidarity, which is a, it's a higher way of thinking around the DNI conversation, which is one, acknowledge difference, acknowledge bias, because as human beings, we all have all that, biases. right? How do we come together where we're acknowledging, we're listening to each other, and then create new environments that we're creating new things? That is where the new products, the new services, the new ideas come from. That is true solidarity. It's creating something new out of other things that already existed. Fantastic. Torian Richardson, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. I have the distinct pleasure of being with Bart Epstein, the founding head of Jefferson Education Now Exchange, which was an ex originally an accelerator out of University of Virginia, the distinctive winner this year, University of Virginia, and now has evolved even into greater things, partnership with Strata Education Network, for example, focused on connecting real teaching and real science and research. Is that a correct way to put it? Yes, that's very true. So why did you start this? Tell us, like, what, what was the impetus? And then let's get into like what it really means for people interested in learning. Sure. We originally launched the nation's first EdTech accelerator focused on helping companies do real academic research. Our hypothesis was that companies who do research and have evidence of their efficacy would thrive in the marketplace and outcompete the bigger brand, lower quality products. And over several years, we learned that 
premise was not as we hoped. Education consumers are incredibly overwhelmed, our system is fragmented, and most of them make decisions on factors that have very little to do with merit and use of research. They are highly influenced by trusted relationships they have with companies who have already provided good service. They rely on each other's experiences and they are not generally well trained at how to use and interpret research to make decisions. So we decided to investigate this problem more deeply. We brought together nearly 300 of the nation's leading entrepreneurs, investors, educators, philanthropists, researchers for the first ever EdTech Efficacy Research Academic Symposium. And uh, coming out of that in 2017, there was a consensus that somebody needed to build a new organization to investigate why does education technology perform differently in different places? Why does your algebra support program thrive in that One school, place, right. that, but not another, it's right. the same program. So we also learned that, as you know very well, voice and agency really, really matter. It's very important when students are taking control of their own educations and parents want to have choice about the environments that their students are in. But it also appears to matter tremendously for the success of education technology. If teachers are not involved in the creation and selection of the products that show up in their classrooms, we shouldn't be surprised when they're unwilling or unable to invest the time necessary to learn how to use those products. Okay, but how did they get to the point? So this is kind of like the age-old catch-22 about people talk about leadership and leadership in schools, but you can't become the leader or have ownership or give other people power unless you've learned that. And we have a lot of educators entering into teaching coming out of a traditional teacher education box that is still very stuck, with some exceptions, right? In an old mode, an old way, and very hostile, if you will, to innovations. Not because they're hostile, just because they don't know. Right. So then how do you get teachers to contribute or have this voice and help select the right things when they've not themselves had access to thinking that way? It's a great question, and the answer is, we are not going to try to change the culture or to change the macro incentives. We are not going to be able to get school districts to do things differently. They don't generally compete with each other. Schools of education are unlikely to make major changes in how they prepare tomorrow's educators. But what we can do is through collective action, we can incentivize tens and eventually hundreds of thousands of individual teachers to document their work in a way that we can all learn from. So the Jefferson Education Exchange out of the University of Virginia Curry School of Education was formed specifically to do this work, to provide cash stipends to teachers along with research support so that these teachers can say, this is what technologies are in my classroom. Here's how they got there. Here's what training was like. Fantastic. Here's how they interoperate. If we can get tens of thousands of teachers to report on their local contextual environments, we can aggregate and analyze the data so that everyone can learn from their experiences. So does that make education technology happy to have you around or not? I mean, it may be that some some great education technology or innovation here today that's gotten a boatload of money from, let's say, some investor, right. it, turn out, it turns out that it doesn't really work. 
Well, it's unlikely that it doesn't work for anyone. Uh, it's more likely that there are conditions under which it is more successful than less successful. So an example I'll give that very few entrepreneurs probably think of is that the percentage of teachers in a school who have used their product successfully when they worked in another district may really matter to your implementation. In other words, if we try to implement uh, biology in a school where less than 1% of the teachers have ever used it, it may be very difficult to go from nothing to a full implementation. Got it. But if there's a school where 15% of the teachers have used BART's biology and they've had previous good experiences with it when they worked in another district, the rollout for that product may be very likely to succeed because we have so many peer champions. And the entrepreneurs right now are so fragmented and have so little resources that need to be focused on building and selling their products that they can't individually do this type of research. Right. But if we all come together and do this type of research, it can be of great value to everyone. And some of it will be exposing uncomfortable truths. Right. There's no two ways around it. Some entrepreneurs are gonna learn that their products have a, a, have a one for 10 success rate in schools that have certain characteristics. You know what? They should stop selling to those schools. It's an unproductive sales effort that leads to shared frustration and a lack of a renewal. They're also gonna learn which schools their products thrive in and why. Mm -hmm. And then for the vast middle of their schools, we can hopefully learn from their peers what's the recipe for the most successful implementation so that a school where it's doing pretty good right. can become a school where it's doing great by learning from what their peers do somewhere across the country. They don't know those people right now. They have no way to find them, but we can describe them in ways that make them easy to identify to each other. Well, it's fascinating that you're taking an area of research and efficacy in education and applying an innovative entrepreneurial approach to assessing its productivity, right? And it's just it just reminds me of all the buzz, all the craziness going on around a conference like this, which is just so dynamic, and people looking for this kind of thing. Are you seeing a lot of traction? Or is this a successful event for Jefferson Education Exchange? Yes, very much so. The universal response to our work is, thank you for doing this, somebody needs to do it. The main questions are, who wants to do it with us right. and who wants to fund it? We are a public charity. We are supported now by Strata Education Network, the University of Virginia, and Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Over time, we need to identify a handful of additional anchors who really care about this problem and want to see it addressed. Uh, and so we are in conversations with several potentially very important um, part, parts of our future. That's great. Um, but we are also uh, looking to learn from the ed tech companies themselves. And this is tricky research to do because no ed tech company wants to admit that their products aren't rainbows exactly. and puppies exactly and all of our work is highly confidential it's subject to the institutional review board at the university of virginia right and we need to talk to entrepreneurs who have experience implementing products and know in their hearts 
when they look at their usage rates that they're much lower than they should be and they want them to increase but right now vendors can't talk to each other right. they're we're not going to get five no. competitors we're into a room fear, exactly. because they're going to expose their Losing weaknesses market share exactly that's exactly. right that's so amazing. hopefully we can help them understand how they can do better but part of this also involves coming up with new language the analogy i'll use here is in farming we have very clear measures for success if i tried to if you tried to, to grow mangoes in your backyard do you think they would grow? It's not going to happen. Why not? Because I'm in Maryland. Okay, but what about Maryland? It's probably not warm enough. Right. But what if we go someplace like Arizona? Arizona's warm. Can right. we grow them there? Well, probably not because there's not enough moisture. Water. Right. Right. There are certain conditions you under which every everything grows: pH, soil nutrients, drainage, hours of sunlight. We don't yet have those variables defined in education. You can't go to a local school and say, what's your teacher agency rating? How involved are the teachers in the selection of your technology? You'll just get a bunch of anecdotes. Right. We need to move towards quantifiable numbers that describe leadership and interoperability and agency and professional development so that we can understand how those numbers apply to each technology. Fantastic. Okay, Bart Epstein, Jefferson Education Exchange, where can people find you? They can find us online at jexuva.org. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here, Bart. Bye-bye. I'm so excited April Sorelli from Knowledge Leaders is with me at ASU GSV, another innovator who I've actually met and got to know at this amazing confab. Uh, that people are listening to me talk to people about. And what was most interesting, April, when I first met you in your work, and now I want to hear about why you guys have launched Knowledge Leaders, is you're here as kind of addressing the human talent and the talent space in the innovation market. And that's unique for what we call executive search firms, right? So welcome, April. Thank you, Jeannie. So happy to be here and be part of this. We are really excited about Knowledge Leaders for a lot of those reasons. And for many reasons that people get involved in education is to help the kids, to help the people trying to learn from pre-K to gray. Knowledge Leaders is a, a team that's been working together for several years now, coming and finding ways to continue to bring in that innovation. Sometimes when we work with clients, what they need is someone who is tried and true, grew up in education, know, you know the ins and outs, but sometimes they need new. And what we found over the past two, three years is that our placements, 30% of them have been people who are outside of the education industry. And that's really helping to you know, influx new ideas like you said, the innovation, right. let's let's keep it coming. It can't just be, you know, an insular community. Yeah, I met someone actually earlier who just started as a chief marketing officer for a company, an education company, and I said, where were you before? And she said, I was in the health, for, uh, the health field. And I just thought that was fantastic. She had this great energy. She was so fascinated. She's walking around like with open eyes. And that is just not something you see in traditional education. And that is not... Uh, a criticism, an idle criticism of traditional educators, but we don't give them access or incentives to open their eyes. That's right, and marketing is a great place to bring people in. We did a search recently with the education company who brought in a CMO who has 
CPG background and retail background and that ability to weave in those skills with a multi-site educational facility right. for high schoolers will be able to reach so many more kids because they've done it in different ways. So how do you find people and do matchmaking? Again, I mean, I, I talent obviously is everything. If you don't have the right people, you won't get your products out. You won't do the work you do. It's a pain point for everyone. Talent was a big subject here today. But how do you do that matchmaking so it sticks? Why are you great at this? Yeah, it starts with great research, which we have great folks who can find those right competencies. But it also starts with really understanding what the company needs and what that person is looking for. Who will stick? Who is going to make the difference? What type of person is going to take your company where you want to go? And then it's not just looking at your background and a LinkedIn profile or a resume. It's digging into what are your personal mission and values and how does that match with what the company's there? And are you going to be a cultural exact fit or are you going to traject that company to where they want to go next? And part of it's asking the right questions and listening really hard and listening between the lines to both the candidates and the clients and then finding ways that when they do finally get together after we've vetted them to a certain point, the candidate and the client are not starting at square one when they meet. They know all kinds of stuff about each other and can dive right into the meat of the matter. So how important is it that you then learn the business of education in order to do that? Can you just, can you kind of dance at the superficial level? No, we got to dive in pretty deep because, and we have a, a period of time with each new client where we're really talking about what do you want and what do you need, especially if it's a created role. We put on a little bit of a consultancy hat and really ask them, all right, well, you think it's called this. Let's talk about why that is. Now we're going to go talk to some board members and we're going to talk to if there are investors or you know what have you to figure out, well, did you think maybe it should be this? And we like right. to really help them understand and make sure that they know exactly what they're looking for before we start looking. So if you're doing it on a surface level, you might not find the person who's going to stick. Where, what's the most exciting field in your estimation, whether for the business of knowledge leaders or just in general? What are you seeing where there's the most activity that is needing to grab people and needing to become new and different and populated by new folks? My first immediate answer is the obvious one probably, which is pre-K, which is what everybody's really excited about right now. Private equity investors are really excited about pre-K right now. But I think what's coming eventually is the thread that takes you really from, and maybe we've identified now pre-K as the beginning of learning, but what is that common thread? How does it weave and where does it change as a student's life changes when they get into middle school? Where am I going to go next? And is college right for me? Or is there something else that's right for me? And then they grow up and they're, maybe they're one of those 70% of the non-traditional college students that are doing it when they're adults. And then you become, you know, in your career and you go to a boot camp or... I think that thread, we're going to see that becoming highlighted more and more over the years and looking holistically across the whole education span instead of saying, I work in K-12, I work in higher ed. I love ed. that. I think and hope those are going well. I love that. I, I, I think I've, I've learned a lot of that from coming to these events, but we also hope that we've contributed a little bit. We've been talking a lot in the last couple of years about unsiloing it, like what makes eighth grade, eighth grade, or 10th grade, 10th grade, 
you know, I just got through talking to a foundation that said, oh, they're not doing K-12 or higher ed anymore. They put them all on the same team. I'm like, yes, yes, this exactly. is a good idea. We right. should do this. Because that means that the people we're looking for to be part of these enterprises have to have to have their eyes open across, right? Yeah, it's not just where you are now, it's where were you and where are you going. It's we're all on a path. Right. And that path should be continuous. Right. So tell me why you come to ASU GSV and what you think of this. Like you've been coming for a while. Describe to the layperson who's not here and can't imagine it why we're all so excited. Yeah, and I, I personally think that there are two ASU GSVs. There's one that's happening inside the amazing panels, the speakers that you look at and you get so excited about it. You know, we've got uh, one colleague back at the ranch, so to say, and she's, oh, I'm streaming it live and watching it. And I thought, well, you're actually at a different ASU GSV than where I am. I'm in the hallways, I'm in the cafe, I'm doing a lot of meetings that are one-on-one, -on -one, talking to investors, talking to CEOs, talking to companies who are changing and innovating and maybe need our help in talent, or maybe just want to help uh, have us help them make a connection or in, an introduction, that kind of thing. So the ASU GSB that I am at in some ways is the one that's the connecting, that's bringing people together, that's in the hallways, grabbing folks, the serendipitous, meetups, the ones that are planned, and figuring out ways, again, across that whole path and thread of how can we pull this all together and make sure that the best and the brightest are in the right roles and the companies that need to be progressing and out there are getting out there and progressing. I love that you're doing that and that Knowledge Leaders is here to provide that because it, 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 it connects all the dots between the people we've been talking to and that are out there to make innovation uh, bigger, have more exponential impact, as Michael Mo likes to say, because you can't do it without that piece, which is critical, which is talent. So, April, yep. thank you so much for talking thank today. Thank you for having me, Jeannie. It's been great. I am super excited to have John Fillmore from Chegg with me on what I'm calling Innovation Alley at ASU GSV 2019. John, welcome. Thank you so much, Jeannie. So I'm actually fascinated with Chegg for a lot of reasons. Um, I found out about Chegg uh, shortly after my kids started college, and I was actually doing a master's program in education entrepreneurship, and we had to do a case study about a tutoring company that you end up acquiring, InstaEDU. That's right. And then all of a sudden I was like, what is this Chegg thing? I go to ASU GSV, they're talking about Chegg, so I really got into it. And it seems like you guys were solving the problems of higher inaccessibility in higher education before it was cool. That is exactly right. It's how do you create the right learning support systems for the 99% who can't afford a $200 an hour tutor. And for us that meant providing something like an office hours that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's there for the students who are working 40 hours a week and they can't get to office hours at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it's great you mentioned Instant EDU because what we built is you've got all of this content that we have that students can access uh, asynchronously. So it's all available on our website, but then Instant EDU provides that last mile. If you're still stuck, 24 hours a day across wow. the globe, we have a tutor who's here for your subject and can help you. And kids take advantage of this. Oh, three million subscribers last year alone, um, primarily U.S. college, but actually across the entire globe. That is amazing. And then how does that, what else do they get? So there's textbooks available. So make believe that I'm just sending a kid off to college. 
and I have pain points to solve. What what do I find, need to yeah, know about Chevy? We want to be there for all of the pain points that you're going to have on this. So today you can get your textbooks. So save up to 80% on your textbooks when you're going in and you first need that for your class. Then, and where we get the, the majority of our subscribers is our Chegg study product. And that is, I need homework help. Right? I'm busy, I can't be at office hours, I actually need to get help right now, it's two in the morning, and me and my roommate can't figure this out. We set that up and say, how do you think about setting up this problem? Here are video concepts around the problem. Here are practice problems that you can practice with after you've looked at one of these in order to, be, to make sure you've mastered the concepts. We also have when you're writing your paper, grammar, plagiarism checkers, citations, we've got tutoring, we've got math solvers, we've got flash tools, we've got test prep. It really is saying, how do we envelop the student the way they learn, which is online, it's on demand, I need it when I need it, I need it available on my phone, I need it built in a way that is like a Spotify or a Netflix, it's consumer first and consumer facing and we built that for all of their support services. But that's very disruptive for higher education, right? So are you putting the school bookstore out of business? Are you putting the kids on, you know, the kids on campus who are tutoring out of business? Or is higher education finally saying, no, this is good, we can focus on our core building? Yeah, so I, I think there are certain places that are going to be challenged by what we do. So if you're trying to charge $300 for a textbook and we're offering it for 30, <laughs> chances are the student's gonna pick us and that's why 85% of college students know Chegg and 85% of college students love Chegg. Um, when you think about things like the support services that we offer, it really is being there for students when they can't get you know, that tutoring center appointment because you look at, you know, for instance, the City University of New York. Most of their students have to commute an hour to get into school. Do you right. think they're going to also come back and commute another hour to get into a tutoring session? Right. They're going to go to Chegg, and Chegg's going to be there for them when they need it, which can include back on the subway, and now they're looking at it on their phone. So are your partnerships, so it's consumer model, right? Absolutely. Are there, are there partnerships, though, that occur with universities or institutions? You know, today it is really focused on the student. And what we've looked at from just a, an overall cultural and DNA perspective is if we make everything we do about how do we serve that student better, how do we help them retain more, how do we offer them more services, we're always going to have that right North Star. If we start introducing more and more players into there that have their own agendas, it becomes a little bit more complicated. Right. So we're not ever anti-institution, and we've actually worked with institutions before to say, hey, are there ways that we can help you? Are there ways we can make sure that their academic integrity is being utilized on our site in accordance with your rules and our rules? All those things are great, and we obviously have a great uh, partnership with Purdue OWL, um, which is the leading citation product for schools. Right. Uh, that has plugged into our writing product. But generally speaking, it is always about what makes us an even better service for the student. So wait, you actually are plugging in with OWL? Oh my gosh, that's huge. Yeah, it's a partnership we, we just announced in the first quarter of this year. Um, and so they are actually, we're using some of their tools that they've done on writing to plug into the writing subscription product that we have, which is how do we help a student make sure that their essays have the proper grammar? Right. How do we help students understand, hey, you, you may have forgotten to cite something here, so before you turn this in uh, and you get flagged by turn it in, we're actually going to help you understand how you do those citations um, and then with some of the writing tools that Purdue has that actually helps buffer the entire service to say are you even thinking about structuring this the right way are you thinking about sentence structure are you thinking about your arguments the correct way 
Well, I hope that's really well marketed because I'll tell you what, we know that writing is also a gateway communication tool and it's been neglected for years and it's clunky to have to be on a computer doing a paper and go look for whatever the you know the rubric or the standard is you know I mean for those for people who listen to this and don't understand I mean you have to follow a certain standard of writing that you only have through certain access points and some people just don't do it because it's hard to do so that's great to make their lives easier that's right and that's about everything we do is just how do we make your lives easier how do we save you time how do we help you learn how do we actually be that support service that you need all the time check fascinating john fillmore thank you so much for joining thank me thank you so much for having me thanks for joining me for this edition of reality check which has been brought to you live from asu jsv 2019 i'm Jeannie allen please subscribe if you haven't already wherever you get your podcasts And tune in next week for another exciting edition of Reality Check.